it's not about how you're doing your job. It's how you're helping your team do their job. And if there was things I was doing that was holding them back from doing their jobs, well, I had to fix myself too. So they had to fix what they were doing and I was going to do that, but I also had to take accountability how I was leading them. And so that, that built a lot of trust. Now the key is once they give you the feedback, you better follow through. Like if you're not going to follow through, don't even ask in the first place. That's the worst thing you can do as a leader. You need to be open to be able to change your own behaviors. And when you can show that kind of respect to people, they start to trust you more and more. You're listening to the vibrant leadership podcast with leadership speaker and consultant, Nicole Greer. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Vibrant Leadership Podcast. My name is Nicole Greer, and today I have a wonderful guest with me. He is an author and a serious leader. He worked for Disney for many, many years and is now a consultant. Uh, He wrote this book right here, How's the Culture in Your Kingdom? His name is Dan Cockerell, and I'm going to introduce him with his bio. Dan is a former vice president of the Magic Kingdom for Walt Disney World, Florida. He attended Boston University, graduating in 1991, and he got his Bachelor of Arts degree in political science. And upon graduation from Boston University in 1991, he moved to Florida, working as a parking attendant in the Disney's Epcot Center. So I'm curious about, was he the Pluto location or the Mickey location? He'll tell us. Subsequently, he joined the Disneyland Paris Management Training Program and went to France, which is, I'm jealous, as part of the opening team and moved there in 1992. While he was in Paris, Dan held various management positions. He was in parking, picketing, guest relations, food and beverages, and human resources. And after spending five years in France, he came back to Florida uh, and held a variety of executive roles at the Walt Disney World Resort, both in the theme parks and in the resort hotels. His last nine years of the company, he was the vice president of Epcot and the vice president of Disney's Hollywood Studios, and eventually vice president of the Magic Kingdom, where he led, don't miss this people, 12 thousand cast members. That's some serious folks to be taken care of. And he entertained over 20 million guests annually. So I am just absolutely delighted to have you on the Vibrant Leadership Podcast. Thank you for coming. Well, thanks, Nicole. I I love talking about this stuff. And uh, as I mentioned to you, this, uh, I love the name of your podcast. You were a pro at getting me prepared for this. Uh, Got a great thing in the mail with the questions and who you are. And um, so I've I've stolen some of your ideas. I hope that's okay to add to my my own uh, processes to improve my business. Oh, a hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. You know, so uh, I'm glad that I got to lead one of the great leaders that uh, are on my show. So that's fantastic. Well, right out of the gate, I like to get kind of my guests, you know, take on like, what is leadership? Your definition of leadership? Yeah, that's, I'll tell you, I, I think it's, it's a great question on any given day. I think you'll get a little, well, you'll get different answers from different people, but, um, I, I'm pretty, I think, practical. I think, you know, leadership is being able to facilitate a group towards a goal, a mission and completing a mission. Uh, uh, when I was, um, and and I would have told you probably previously earlier in my career, well, leadership's about listening and it's about, um, you know, empathy 
and, and giving you a laundry list of, I think, of uh, things you need to do. But leadership at the end of the day, whether you're uh, running a nonprofit, you're running a for-profit company, you're running a club, you're in your, your church, whatever it is, you are, you're, you're taking a group of people and you're facilitating them and getting them to uh, complete a mission, complete a goal. So I think once you t- think about it that way, it changes a little bit. And I learned a lot at Disney that my job wasn't to do things. My job was to make sure we got to the mission. And so you think about it differently because you got to position all your resources the right way. You have to create the right culture and environment for people to get there. Um, but uh, I think a lot of people forget about that. And, you know, and we'll, I know we're going to talk more about this, but I think a lot of times leadership becomes too, way too much inward focus for people. And it's about who they are and what they do. At the Magic Kingdom with 12,000 cast members, it didn't matter who I was because I didn't see the guests. I saw a few, but I didn't see 20 million. I was leading 12,000 people who interacted with 20 million people. So my job was to make sure those 12,000 loved what they did so we could get uh, we could lead um, that group and complete our mission was to create incredible, magical experiences for guests so they'd come back again and give us more money. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So don't miss what he said. He said that it's all about getting the mission done through others. All right. So I love that definition. And so I want to hear about how did you get your team of 12,000 excited about serving the guests? Because, you know, having, again, don't miss his mission was to have magical experiences for his people, uh, for his uh, guests that came to uh, Disney and then turn around and make profit, right? Because that's why we're in business. We get, we've got to make some profit. So Tell me a little bit about how you got people motivated to to do that every single day in the Florida heat. Because sure. I used to live in Orlando. Totally get yeah. it. I was in Altamont Springs. You know what oh, that sure. is? I know. You know. I know uh-huh. it's hot there. It's hot at Walt Disney World. Yeah. So yeah. Um, there's a, it, I've used a formula and I've used it for um, back in the late nineties. Uh, I went and participated in a leadership program with the Gallup organization. And if you're familiar with strength finders 2.0, all that, all those tools that were created by Gallup. And I was lucky enough to have a leader who sent me to a three-day uh, session um, and we used to use Gallup uh, extensively to hire people at Disney. Um, you, know, you, you figure out what, what interview questions, you identify people's pr- uh, predictive talents and see if they align with the organization. And when you get the right people in the right jobs, incredible things happen. So the first thing, and, and, and like I said, I'd love to tell you I made this up, but uh, I love just le- learning and impl- implementing things. So the, there's a, a formula that, that uh, Gallup uses that I've used for years. One is the most important thing by far, uh, without a doubt, and leadership is selecting the right people. So I'll tell you, I really don't think you can motivate people. I think you can encourage people. You can uh, reinforce uh, behaviors. You can teach people. You can develop them. But motivation for me is internal. It comes from people's uh, intrinsic. They just want to be that way. So I would tell you the number one key reason or way that I was able to be successful at Disney was I worked in a company where we were really serious about the kind of people we hired. So we hired people that enjoyed service. We hired people who were empathetic. We hired people had a really great work ethic. We hired people that loved working on teams. We hired people that loved to collaborate. So we we kind of determined what the profile of a Disney employee should be. We figured that out. And then we started to put processes in place, how to identify them through interviews and bring them in the organization. And once you've done that, um, everything else is like extra. But if you bring in the right people, you almost don't need to do anything else. You just turn them loose and they're just going to do great things. Um, but in addition to that, once you get the right people, 
You build relationships with them. You build trust. You get a, a, an emotional connection. You set clear expectations for performance. Clarity is one of my favorite words. Uh, and there's so lack of it. And I think in marriages and jobs and raising kids, I mean, we just don't, we don't spend the time to create clarity for people. And then last is you reward and recognize performance when people do it right and to reinforce the behavior. And when they don't do it right, you give them some tough love and you coach them and you, you correct it. So you hire the right people, you build a relationship with them, let them know you respect them, you care about them, you set clear expectations when they do it well, you reinforce that. When they don't do it well, you uh, you correct it. And so what I like to tell people, well, there's no, there is no magic. It is a formula. We execute the plan every day, but it's the consistency at which we do that. And great companies do that, I think, is where the success lies. Um, and those are my those are my four big things. I thought about those every single day when I was working. Am I do, am I, do I have the right people in the right jobs? Am I spending time with people to get to know them personally? Do they know what's expected of them? And am I spending time to let them know how much I appreciate them? Yeah, I love that. I love that. And so uh, I want everybody to pay attention to this word expectations that Dan just used. Um, I had a master coach when I was coming through my training and he said to me, uh, Nicole, write this down. So everybody get a pen. So this is what he told me. He said, uh, uncommunicated expectations are a premeditated opportunity to be disappointed. <laughs> and I was like, that's genius. And so I wrote it down. So you might want to write that down. We'll put it in the show notes. But uh, that is absolutely the truth. I mean, if people know what's expected of them, it actually makes them feel safe, right? Because they're yeah. like, if I just fill in, if I just color in this box right here, I'm going to be good to go. So I, I think that's really important. And so I love what you said about strengths finders. And so I'm pretty familiar with that assessment myself. So um, what were some of the traits uh, you said collaborative? Um, what, were, what were some of the traits that you looked for? Because I bet you there are some leaders listening to this who are also very customer focused, very customer driven. Um, what were some of the traits on strengths finders that people needed to have in order to work with you guys? Yeah, I would say the, you know, we, we would, we would look for people with backgrounds all over the place because we needed, you know, strategic thinkers. We needed people who had futuristic thinking, but the, the lion's share of roles we have at Walt Disney world are in operations, uh, executing the plan every day with customers, with guests, uh, taking care of them. So, uh, a lot of the, uh, strength finders, that whole, um, relationship category was really important. And I, okay. I, I can't remember offhand all mine, but four out of my five or three out of my five landed in relationships. And so, you know, people take these assessments and they say, okay, I'm, you know, I have, uh, I have positivity. I have a ranger, um, is one of them. Um, and then they, uh, optimism is one of them, but then you look at it and you say, okay, that's fine. I know that now, but what am I supposed to do? And so I translated my strength finders into, okay, Dan, if uh, relationships is where you thrive, you better be with people a lot because your relationship skills, you don't get to exercise that muscle unless you're with others developing relationships. And I learned about myself, the more I was with people, I was more creative. That's how I got my energy. I was more motivating to people. I get, came up with better ideas because I liked interacting with people. So I took it to a very practical level and I'd look at my calendar every week and see how, how many hours a week was I not with people. And I was always trying to maximize being in meetings with people or walking in the park or spending time with people. Cause I knew that's where all the pot, all the value is going to come. So for me, every moment I was in my office doing emails, administrative work was 
necessary, but not, it was, it was not a value add. It was just a necessary evil I had to do to make sure we keep the wheels turning of the administration. So, um, that piece of it was uh, extremely important um, that I knew where, where, where to be spending my time. And so what we did was, and this is going to be kind of a, it's, it's funny when we start first started doing research with Gallup, uh, we started to look at, uh, okay, what are the, what are some of the roles? And so we said, okay, we, we need housekeepers. We have 30,000 uh, rooms. We have lots of competition in Orlando, but we want the best housekeepers because if you don't have a clean room, um, it doesn't matter how many times you see Mickey or what, that's, that's a, a price of entry. If I don't have a clean room and I don't feel safe and comfortable in that environment, um, it's a non-starter. So that was a big that's deal. Right. There's, I, a hair, there's hair in the bathtub. It's over. Forget it. Yeah. And so I worked in, and I worked in hotels for six years. And one of the hotels I worked in was the all-star resort that has 6,000 rooms. So at the all-star, if 99% of your rooms are cleaned correctly every night, you still have 60 dirty rooms and that's just not acceptable. 60 dirty rooms. If you, if you get 99.9% right, you have six dirty rooms, which that's six families that we made a promise to. So it was really important that we put inspection processes in place and accountability and all that. But once again, if you don't hire the right people to clean these rooms, you're never going to get there. So we started to interview uh, in, in collaboration with Gallup, our best housekeepers, because we were trying to figure out what is it about the best housekeepers that make them the best housekeepers. And um, where we landed was we, we said, well, what do you do in your, your spare time? What, what's important? And you know what they said My, they did in their spare time? What do you think they do in their spare time? How great housekeepers do? Um, they clean their homes. They clean their homes. They have a personal <laughs> issue with disorder and that that's what they're passionate about. And they get a, just a little OCD, right? <laughs> absolutely. They get a personal satisfaction out of this. And I learned, I learned over time when I started in, you know, at, as a GM of a hotel, you inspect rooms every week, you're out in the operation. And what I realized is you're not, you're not, I can't as one person decide if we have a clean hotel by, you know, we get that through surveys from guests and everything. But if the GM doesn't show up to, t to show that it's important to spend his time looking at rooms, people are not going to think it's important and that priority is going to go down. And what I learned was when I went out and inspected rooms, a lot of the housekeepers would be on their balconies. Dan, come inspect my rooms. I'm like, I would do that. But I realized quickly the people asking you don't need the rooms inspected. It's the people who are not asking you because they're proud of that. They go home every night. They clean 18 rooms a day and every night they go home with a sense of satisfaction that there's 18 families that are going to come back to the rooms tonight. They're clean. Maybe there's a towel animal and they've created some magic and they close. And sometimes I thought to myself, man, maybe I should get into housekeeping because I go home at night. My job just keeps going. I'm doing emails and all this. I'm like, I think they have the lucky jobs. So a lot of this is very common sense, but the, the hard part is how do you interview and, and, and get these people into your organization? And the more you can understand about what they're intrinsically, predictively good at and passionate about the easier it's going to be connecting with the environment that you're you're managing. Yeah. And I love what you're saying about how, you know, maybe attention to detail is the housekeeper's number one, you know, strength. But I've also had great bosses along the way. Don't you think that's important? The leaders along the way. Listen sure. to that, people. Like, you know, he said, I had a leader that sent me to this training program. Okay. So you have to send your people out for training. You got to let them get other experiences. Well, I had the same thing happen to me. And I don't, you probably can tell me, Dan, what these are called, but when I, um, probably in the early 2000s, I got sent to like this day with Disney or something. Mm -hmm. And they got up and they had different speakers come out and talk about how Disney does it. 
And one of the things that just like flooded back to me as you're speaking is they talked about how they have housekeepers that will uh, realize that like a family's going to stay in this particular room. They've been they're you know, they're going to be in there for four nights or five nights or something. Um, and they were telling us how the housekeeper would like find a stuffed animal and another stuffed animal. And they would like set up a little vignette where the stuffed animals were having a snack or something, or they were tucked in the bed and that the housekeepers, not only do they vacuum and clean and scrub the toilet, but they also are dreaming up you know, what, what could I do in here so that when the children come back, they're absolutely delighted with the experience. So um, that just came back to me. So that that's the kind of people that you hired at Disney, correct? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, you just hit on something that is really important. So we hire people like that, but then we also have something. And once again, I think this is unique to companies that are able to execute consistently is we, you know, Disney has a vision, vision and a mission and every company does. And most people don't know what it is, but we have something we created called the common purpose. And the common purpose, every single employee we train from executives all the way down to frontline employees, uh, your common purpose. So basically what we tell people is your, your role is a housekeeper or a ticket taker or a parking lot attendant, or your role is loading Pirates of the Caribbean or working in quick service. Everyone has a different role, a different job. Everyone's common purpose, everyone's purpose is the same to create magical memories for guests. So when you start to tell people that you say, look, your job is what you do, but your purpose is why you're here. And when you tell everyone that's what they need to be doing, you've empowered them to start to think differently. And, and when you do that, you have these only at Disney moments, only at Disney, are you going to find a custodial cast member that's painting Mickey mouse images with a pan and broom with water uh, during their break. Only at Disney, are you going to do a sing along with a bus driver? Because we've given them permission to say, look, we know you're going to drive that bus. You got to drive it safely. You got to drive it efficiently, but you know what? You are here to create magic also. And usually people say, well, okay, I can't do that. Not in my job. And it's when you give people permission, they figure, it out. And that's where incredible things happen. And the executives are never going to think of this stuff. It comes from the front line, but you got to give them permission to say, your job isn't just to keep this place clean. It's that plus. And that's where we have great people doing that. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So common purpose. All right. Everybody write that down. All right. Well, the next thing I want to ask you about is, you know, you said, you know, one of my top strengths was relationship building. Um, And, you know, I think even if it's not one of your strength finders strength that pops up on your list uh, as a leader, you do need to be able to build relationships. So even if it's not your natural cup of tea and it is your natural cup of tea. Uh, so Dan, tell us, how do you build relationships? Like what did you exactly do? What were the skills you used when you were wandering around building relationships? Yeah. Uh, so you know, I guess a few things. One is the people who I knew I was going to work with a lot directly. So my direct reports, uh, when I first got into a new job, I would spend time with them. We'd have lunch and we spent a couple hours and I didn't make it a rule, but I said, look, I'm not really interested in hearing about your job today and what you're working on, what you're doing. Cause that's all we're going to talk about after today. What I'd like to talk about, where are you from? Like, tell me your background. When you, when you ask people about their background at Disney, they'll tell you when they started working at Disney and move forward. I'm like, no, no, but you were somewhere before that, right? You were born somewhere and you had a family and you grew up somewhere. And uh, I think a lot of times we don't pay attention to that, that history of people. And it's incredible. We can work for people with 20 years. And all of a sudden, one day we find out something that we probably should have known. Oh, you have a twin brother. Well, I didn't know that. And so you really want to get, um, get, get that connection. 
what do you do on weekends? What's your background? What are your aspirations? What companies have you worked for previously? Um, and just get to make that personal connection with them. So that's something I invested in. Uh, another big thing I would do with my team is after a couple of months when I got into a new job of working together, we would do something called a, um, a stop, start, continue session. So the idea was yeah. I'd get my whole team together. I'd say, all right, guys, we've had a couple months of runtime now. We're still learning how to work together. You know, the other person I replace is gone. I know there's, I, I lead differently and, and, and we're working through that, but I want to now really um, dig into my expectations. So I'm going to talk about the things I expect. I don't understand everything that goes on here yet, but here's, here's all the things that you can know about me, how I'm wired, what I value, uh, what I, what frustrates me, what I, how I think about uh, performance, how I think about development. So I, I would accelerate the learning curve. So we didn't wait a year, them learning as we went. I told them, here's who I am. And then I would leave the room and I'd say, all right, I'm going to be gone for a couple hours. I want you all to put up on this, uh, these three boards, stop, start, continue. What are all the things you'd like me to stop doing as a leader? Uh, start doing and continue doing. What are the things you appreciate about what I'm doing? And I'd come back and it's, you have to have a thick skin because if you, if they really trust you as a group, first of all, there's there's safety in numbers. So you didn't have one person who they'd come to a consensus. Hey, you know what? Dan seems like he mentions things in meetings, but then um, there's no follow through afterwards. Does anyone else see that happening? Yeah. As a matter of fact, so well, let's give that feedback to him. So I think this is where you got to, you know, throw your ego out the window. And once again, if you're going to work towards the mission, it's not about how you're doing your job. It's how you're helping your team do their job. And if there was things I was doing that was holding them back from doing their jobs well, I had to fix myself too. So they had to fix what they were doing and I was going to do that, but I also had to take accountability how I was leading them. And so that that built a lot of trust. Now, the key is once they give you the feedback, you better follow through. Like if you're not going to follow right. through, don't even ask in the first place. That's the worst thing you can do. Um, and I got feedback one time in a meeting. They said, well, look, Dan, we know you love consensus. You love relationships. You love have harmony. But we get into discussions in our staff meetings that we we disagree on a topic with, you know, amongst ourselves. And the only you need to be the tiebreaker and don't let the conversation, you let the conversation go too long. Just pull your the card out and go, look, I'm the vice president and I get to decide and here's what it is. And they were right. And so I started to step up my courage and my point of view and not let conversations go further because that was frustrating them. So as a leader, you need to be open to be able to change your own behaviors. And when you can show that kind of respect to people, they start to trust you more and more. A lot of leaders think that's a sign of a weakness or vulnerability, which it is, but it's also, it's great to show vulnerability because it's, you know, the, the, the uh, as they say, the emperor has no clothes, the stuff you're not good at, everyone knows. So instead of pretending it's not there, accept responsibility, fix it, or get someone to help you fix it. But when you're responsible for a group of people, you need to be sure this stuff is getting done. Yeah, that's awesome. And when you were talking about that, I kind of got this image of uh, a leadership model I've seen before where, you know, instead of the leader being at the top of the pyramid, you know, the leader's more at the at the bottom. Because what mm -hmm. I keep hearing you say, Dan, is my job is to support all these people so they can get their job done. Mm -hmm. So, you know, kind of a flipped pyramid kind of model. I love that. Mm -hmm. And everybody write down, uh, start, stop, continue. And how often would you do this with your team? Every quarter? No, Is there probably, a recipe when you felt like you needed it? Maybe twice a year. It's kind of like we do. Sometimes some companies over-survey. When you ask people for feedback too often, A, it's time consuming and B, they're like, well, look, you asked me last month about this or last quarter. Why are you asking me again? Go fix it. So um, yeah, a couple times a year. 
And, uh, okay. it's, I'll tell you, it's a great exercise. Get, get your frontline employees put, I used to do that. I put frontline employees in a room and say, Hey, I don't know. I want you to put stop, start, continue as a group. I'll be back in an hour. Do you come back and you guys should start, you know, cleaning the parking lot at night. That place a mess. There's you know, construction out there and there's nails and pop my tire. And you should stop sending us these emails with our new insurance policy that we don't understand. And so there's so much information you can get out of there when you just ask people that and then give them the anonymity to speak up without uh, a fear of, you know, retribution or that kind of thing. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, my next question for you is, you know, like some leaders are tuned into this, you know, podcast because they want to get better. You know, there's always that one group that has that growth mindset that's like, okay, I'm going to listen to podcasts so I can be the best leader I can be. Now, there are other leaders that struggle and they just can't get it. Now, I know you guys always hired, um, you know, to make sure they fit in the right seat on the bus. They had the right strength finders for the right job and all that kind of thing. What do you think derails people the most when they're leading? What gets them in trouble? I heard one thing you just said, don't ask for feedback and not act on it. That's the number one way you can struggle. Well, what, what would be some other ways that leaders struggle? I think ego, ego is something we all have. I personally think, you know, that's a lot of times when I saw women were often better leaders because they didn't have this ego. And I know we're all kind of wired differently, but they were there to understand and not prove. And I don't know if it's a a male thing, but I know that I get in moments where I want to, and as I've gotten older, I have less of an inclination to do that, but you want, you have an ego and, and it gets in your way of listening. It gets in your way of taking responsibility for mistakes you've made. Uh, gets in your way of a lot of stuff. So I think to a certain degree, um, and probably the path to that is self-awareness. Like, is this moment really a, an attack on me? Or would I be better to open up and say, look, tell me more about what you're seeing here? Because I can, I can, you know, close the door and not listen to what you're saying. It's not going to change what you're thinking. You still have the same opinion. Just because I'm not listening to it doesn't mean it's not true. So I think ego is one. Um, I, I love see, that. Yeah, well, I used to see leaders come into roles and I'd, I'd tell a lot of them, I said, look, here's what you're thinking. And I know, cause I used to do this is you were recently promoted and you really want to prove that you should have been promoted and you're going to go out and you're going to show people how smart you are and you're really going to have it all together. I said, you should project confidence. There's no doubt about that, but just know this. We know you should be promoted because we promoted you. You have nothing to prove. We know you're going to be successful in this job. That's why we chose you. So your job is now to go help the people in the, the area you're leading get the mission done and, and, and figure out what that needs to be done. Um, the other thing that's a real simple one leadership is um, just having, you know, lack of discipline. You know, when you step in these leadership roles, yeah. Not only are you managing yourself anymore, but you're having to create the right environment for the people around you and create uh, clarity and create uh, processes. And if you have lack of discipline and you don't have follow through and you're, you can't stay on top of your emails and make decisions, or you don't know how to empower or delegate people that causes all kinds of chaos. And so um, a lot of this is you need to work smart. You need to know yourself, but you need to be ready to work hard. If you want to step in a leadership role, you're just going to do a lot of hard work and no amount of uh, apps or uh, technology. You can't you, you can only make a certain amount of things efficient. The rest is just going to be a lot of work and uh, you got to be ready to do that work. Yeah. And, and that's all in his book, everybody. Let's let's make sure everybody knows about Dan's book. How's the culture in your kingdom? And so in this book, he has the whole first section is about leading yourself 
right? And then he goes on all the way through leading change. So you definitely got to pick up a copy of his book. Of course, it's on Amazon, right? Um, so I love that. Yeah. And so, you know, you were talking about ego. Um, I have a, a thing in one of those speeches that I give. I say, you know, how many of y'all work with these people who are always right? You know, and like the whole audience just goes, you know, like I can totally relate to that. And those are the folks with the ego. They've always got to end up on the right side of things. So um, it, I think a, a great struggle for people is going, oh, it's my fault, you know, accepting fault or accepting responsibility. Like you said, that's fantastic. Okay. So I don't know. My guess is that you still have like friends and people down uh, at Disney, even though you have your own consultancy now. Um, And, you know, what's amazing to me is like, I'll be watching television while I'm cooking dinner or something. And here's this commercial comes on, like, we're open for business, right? So um, I'm curious, what do you see out there in our crazy COVID world? You know, how can leaders be effective when we're working remotely? We've got to be super safe. What what advice would you give to people working in this crazy time? Yeah. So I've gotten, I've had this question a few times and I think it's a great question. So in my, in my opinion, um, everything we've talked about today and all, everything in leadership, nothing changes. You just have to be much more purposeful and intentful of how you're going to connect with people and how you're going to spend your time and be planful. Because you know, at the Magic Kingdom or in a lot of jobs, you know what? I'll run into someone in the hallway or at the water cooler or I'm getting a cup of coffee and we'll talk about it or I'll walk down their office. Well, in the remote world today, you're not going to run into them ever because you're probably in your house. So you need to start thinking about, okay, well, how do I make sure I create those, recreate those moments virtually? So, uh, Hey guys, uh, one, one of the thing, my, my daughter, we have three kids and our, our daughter's the middle one and she's working for a startup and they all work remotely. The, the, the company's based in Nashville. She's in Denver. Everyone's all over the place, but they have something called a study hall. And so a couple times a week, they all, it's a meeting and they all have to log in and they're all on a screen, like a zoom screen working and they're all there. And so everyone knows they're there. And so someone may say, click on someone and say, you know, Hey, Margo, do you have a minute? Yeah. Call me or let's go in this chat room. I have a couple of questions for you. So they've recreated the workspace where they're going to create these spontaneous interactions. I've been meaning to talk to you, but it wasn't able to get a meeting with you, but here you are right now. It's like, you know, professors have study hours where study, you can go to, and see them um, office hours, finding time to um, uh, connect with people outside of meetings and everything. So say to all your direct reports, Hey, I, I want to touch base with you 15 minutes a week. Um, just to check in and see how life is, how you're doing, what's going on, how can I help you, um, how's the family doing, is there anything you need, and you schedule those things, and so every 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 week for 15 minutes it pops up, yep, everything's going good, I don't have much in my mind, but here's something I was thinking about, and you have a quick conversation, so uh, communication, same thing, you have to be very intentful, hey, you know what, every Friday, I'm going to send out a recap of the week, Monday mornings, we're going to have a 30-minute meeting. We're all going to talk about what we're working on this week. We'll have a 30-minute check-in on Wednesday, and we'll have a closeout on Friday again to see what we all worked on this week. So I think you just got to get more organized and uh, um, just don't don't leave anything to chance because you may it's easy not to connect with people in this world because if you don't connect with them in a chat room or you don't call them, you're not going to talk to them. So I think intent and purpose and just make sure you're making those happen. I think there actually, there's a lot of opportunities. You can be more efficient and a better leader with this remote work because you have, 
you have this ability to connect with people. You know where people are. You can get to them. You don't have any travel time. I mean, you know, you click, boom, you're in the next meeting. You can talk to people. And I know that you can overdo that a little bit, but just be thoughtful about, are, do you have the right people doing the right work? Are you feeding those relationships? Are you checking in on people? Are you asking those questions? Uh, clarity, expectations. Here's what you need to be getting done this week. Here's what we need to get done. And then uh, following up and rewarding them. Um, I've, I've heard from companies that the only reason they don't like work from home is because they don't trust that people are going to do the job. And it's like, that is not a reason to do that. So I said, if you don't think people are getting their job done, then you have a measurement problem because you should be able to know what people are supposed to be getting done. By the end of this week, here's a couple of reports. Here's a relationship. Here's two clients to talk to. And then the week, let's see if you got all this done and let's connect. Um, I've heard from companies that are like, they'll look at what time you logged in your computer and logged out. And I think that's just a formula for disaster. Um, if you don't trust people working from home, then get rid of them and hire someone you do trust. But don't let this ongoing issue be, if I don't see you, then I don't have control over you. Because that's just, that's not leadership. Yeah, yeah. I love what you said. Um, so if you don't have a trust problem, you have a measurement problem. I hope y'all didn't miss that. Okay, so he's saying, you know, between Monday and Friday, there should be um, strategies happening, tactics being taken care of, um, things being done. And you should be able to look at that and not worry about whether or not they folded their clothes on a 10 minute break today. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so that's important. All right. So I've got two more questions for you. I, I, I would think I would be remiss if I didn't ask you a question about culture, about sure. culture. So, you know, I know we could pop, probably talk for three hours or three days about culture. Yeah culture, but you know, like if you were going to like put it in a capsule for us, what's the most important thing a leader needs to do to have a beautiful, magical culture? Yeah. I don't know if there's one thing, but, um, I've had people ask me before, how do you define culture? And I looked at all kinds okay. of things and you can find, but one is I found that I think is the best is culture is how things are done around here. So, you know, that's what culture is. This is how, this is how things are done around here. So culture uh, comes back to, once again, I'll, I'll go back to expectations and clarity. We value, let's say I have a company, we value humility. Great. We, I, love, I love how that sounds. I love the idea. Now, how do I measure that? I can't walk up. I, I unfortunately I don't have a device to, or an app that scans you and says you're you're humble or not. It's behaviors. Right. People who are humble do th certain things. Um, they uh, listen. They take responsibility. They're empathetic and they're more interested in in the the um, the success of their team than themselves. And so when you start defining the behaviors then you can start training those behaviors. You can reward those behaviors. You can hire for those behaviors. You can give feedback on those behaviors. And a lot of times companies stop at the value. But they don't go to the next level to explain how to get there. And that's, and it's, it's a lot of work to do, but man, it's, it's, it's so great. Cause if I want to be, I'm not, I wasn't born a highly empathetic person. I learned a lot of that. I learned to ask people questions when I meet them. Hey, where are you from? Tell me about yourself. And I am interested in that, but there's other people that, you know, I, I read, I know Gallup says, if you want to know if someone has empathy, find the people who um, they, uh, they buy your Christmas present. And you're like, how did you know? How did you know that this was what I wanted? Well, because I'm highly empathetic. Now me, I give my wife either. She says, I love that. And she looks at me and I, I put an Amazon on my shopping list. I'm like, you will get that. Or I always get the gift receipt. So I'm like, this is not in me close, but I'm going to give it a try here. So anyway, uh, define behaviors. And the second part of that is role model. That's another, and that once people know what to do, um, 
and actually role modeling may come first. I see my leader do certain things and that becomes what I assume is the standard. So if you are, if you yell, I'm going to think it's wrong, but maybe it's acceptable. Um, if you're yelling at me, if um, you regularly are out and like when I was at Disney, I was out in the park all the time. So I thought being accessible and approachable as a leader was really important to know how the place is running. And once I started doing that, the other general managers were like, well, Dan's out walking around our areas and seeing what's going on. I'm getting out there because I want to be out there also to make sure that we're doing it right. And then all of a sudden the managers are like, well, if my gym's going to be out there, I'm going to be out there. And all of a sudden people were much more in with the guests, in the operation uh, involved. And it's not just because I did it a lot, but role modeling is such a powerful thing uh, in raising kids and leading people. And there's unfortunately a lot of examples a lot of hypocrisy we see, you know, people say this, and they do something else. And that just, it's, that's devastating when it comes to your credibility and building trust. Yeah, hundred percent. So a couple of things um, that are popping in my mind and from earlier, what you said and what you just said now is, you know, it's like this old saying, inspect what you expect. Yeah. Um, so I heard that. And then, you know, there's this book uh, by Blanchard, the one minute manager. We've all, I don't know if you've got that one in your Yeah. But one of the things in there that Ken Blanchard says is managed by walking around, Mm -hmm. you know, so I, you know, it's just a classic line. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about. Okay. So here's my last question. And that is if you were mentoring a single special leader who is listening right now, what piece of advice would you kind of like, you know, make sure they had a solid handle on? Wow. That's a good one. So I'm going to go to my there's two quotes. I love quotes. I collect quotes. I think quotes are really powerful. And there's two that are my go-tos. Um, and uh, I think they're somewhat motivating. They're refreshing. They're sobering sometimes. So the first one is more of a fun one. And there's a, a song by Dire Straits. The song's called The Bug. And it says, uh, uh, some, the, there's a line in the song that says, sometimes you're the Louisville slugger and sometimes you're the ball. And so that is just such a great context for life because there's times and I joke with people, I said, there's times I drove home at night from my job at the magic kingdom and I had my music playing and I'm like, you know, I'm a humble guy, but there's no doubt in my mind, there's never been a better vice president than me today. I was fabulous. I was funny. I was decisive. I was on top of it. I asked great questions and I was on top of the world. And literally two days later, I'd be driving home saying, how am I going to explain to my wife that I made such a stupid decision today? And how could I just have done that? I'm the worst vice president ever. So, you know, life is ups and downs and it's just about getting a handle on that, that, that the highs are going to, and one of my bosses told me once, Dan, just think about it this way. When things are going really bad, they're not nearly as bad as you think they are. And when you, they're going well, they're probably not going as well as you think they are. So just, be, you know, keep yourself right in that yeah, that, yes. was good, that was a good piece of advice. And then the second one my grandfather gave me, uh, he was, um, a, uh, he went to the um, U.S. Naval Academy, class of 42. They graduated wow. that class in uh, three years because they had to go to war. And he was a naval architect and just a really impressive guy. He retired um, from the Navy and had like three more careers. But he had told me at one point, um, and he wrote this on a piece of paper I still have. He said, Dan, here's how I think about things. And I was, you know, I was a young. I was in my, I think I was a teenager when I heard this and I kept it with me. It didn't mean as much as the time, but over the years I thought about it. He said, you do your best and then you forgive yourself. And I just, I think it's a great way to to live every day. You you do your best. Sometimes your best is going to be great. 
And sometimes your best is going to be a miserable failure because your best isn't good enough. So every day you get up and you do the best you can, and then you forgive yourself. You, you go, you learn from it, and you come in the next day and you do your best again. And when you make a mistake, when you do something you wish you'd brought, you'd taken back, when you have a regret, you got to forgive yourself and move on. And a lot of people like to carry guilt with themselves. They carry shame around. They carry these things. The only thing that can come good at that is you learn something to learn how to deal with things next time. So uh, I think those are two things everyone should be thinking about. I think people are so hard on themselves and they think they have to live up to this, um, idea of, as I was talking to someone this morning, you know, social media, which are basically the highlight reels. We think the highlight reels of everyone's life is how we're supposed to be all the time. And it's just not reasonable and it's not, it's not real. And it's, it shouldn't be that way. And, and I think we all do that. So um, just remember, sometimes you're Louisville slugger, sometimes you're the ball and uh, you do your best and you forgive yourself. And I think those have been two um, expressions that have kind of helped me get through a lot of things through my career and my life. Yeah. So I think you hit it out of the park on our podcast today, by the way. So uh, you can get in your car and drive around the neighborhood and come back home. <laughs> I, I will be, I will be mildly happy and not, you know, overdo it because I know tomorrow is going to be another day. That's right. That's right. Okay. Awesome. Well, it's been so awesome to speak with you. I'm super grateful that you've been on the Vibrant Leadership Podcast. Again, everybody, I want you to take a look right here. Go on Amazon and order it. How's the culture in your kingdom? And then Dan, tell us, what could you do for us if somebody's listening to this and they say, I need to hang out with this guy? What what are the ways you help people? Tell us about your business real quick and how they yeah. can find you. Yeah. So uh, Valerie, you know, my wife um, worked uh, in retail at Disney for a long time and then eventually was a facilitator at the Disney Institute. So we, um, she's awesome. a great facilitator, great creator of content. We do workshops together and I do keynote speeches and we're into everything. Um, we're working with we're an accounting firm. We've worked with healthcare companies, hospitals, hotels. Um, we do workshops. We have a workshop called the method to the magic. And we kind of do a one day workshop on, she does the part on how to really think about delivering customer service. And I do the part on leadership, how to create the environment to allow yourself to deliver great customer service. Uh, we do um, uh, coaching. I, I have a couple of people I coach and talk to them once a week and talk about what they're working on their jobs and help them as a thought partner. Uh, we have some online uh, courses we've created. We created an undergrad uh, college course. We're uh, testing up at Suffolk Community College. Um, oh, fantastic. Uh, keynote speeches online. So we basically, we, we've realized that the material and the experiences we've had between us, we have a lot to talk about. And then when we just talk to clients and we just figure out once again, clarity, what is it you're trying to solve for? And what is it we have that's going to help, you know, you solve whatever you're solving? Are you trying to deal with, uh, you know what, I need to look at processes to rebuild my business because my customer service is suffering, you know, because, you know, Walt Disney World is a big machine, lots of processes. And then once you get the process in place, then you have to motivate the people. So we're at cockerelconsulting.com. Uh, our cell phone numbers are on there, our emails. Um, we, we like to be accessible and chat with people. And a lot of times I'll chat with someone and we'll conclude that, you know what, I'm probably not the person to help you, but I know five people who have a skill set to help you. And so we've realized over time, that's the key to building a business is I'm not here for you to hire me. I'm here to help you. And if I happen to have the skill set that's going to help you, then great. Maybe you'll hire me. So that's fantastic. All right, everybody. It has been a delight to be with you. And I hope you'll tune in next time for the Vibrant Leadership Podcast. Ready to up your leadership game? Bring Nicole Greer to speak to your leadership team. 
conference, or organization to help them with her unique SHINE method to increase clarity, accountability, energy, and results. Email speaking at vibrantcoaching.com and be sure to check out Nicole's TEDx talk at vibrantcoaching.com slash TED talk.